You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Welcome to Crowdfunding Nerds, everybody. I am your most esteemed host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sexy Irish Rick and 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 Sexy Irish Sean. <laughs> Rick, you're Sexy esteemed. Irish today. Yes. For once, someone has called me sexy. That's great. I think you're the first. Yeah, you're sexy Irish Rick today. So on this week's episode, uh, Sean and I had a really interesting experience with a marketer that plays at a much higher level. This guy serves as the chief marketing officer for companies or has served uh, for companies such as Paramount, Ford, and other large players. They work with agencies and everything like that. And uh, we, uh, Sean and I actually had the opportunity to talk to this person and for, you know, earlier this week, and uh, they are not on our podcast. So it's kind of like Tenacious D, the greatest song in the world. It's not the greatest song. It's just a (laughs) tribute. So this is what we learned from that conversation. Sean and I felt- We couldn't remember- we learned we couldn't remember the greatest song so the are world. we like are we like a tribute this is, podcast this is a tribute. we're not quite the real thing we just uh pretend yeah actually <laughs> you know we have a follow-up meeting scheduled with this person and i'd really love to bring him onto this podcast because some of the functional things that they said for you know how to run a great facebook ads campaign how to properly target and and kind of break down who your target market is well, things like that were really enlightening and uh, one thing i was pleased with was that they said we weren't actually doing too bad a job um, I know in, that was in a lot of areas. Good. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. So, but in other areas, man, we we kind of got our we kind of got our uh, proverbial butts kicked, right? So he's probably just being polite. You guys didn't do too bad. You were well, you know, he actually but was let me looking tell you at how, us. Let me show you how to really do it. <laughs> yeah. So you know the the original impetus for the call was that we're having a uh, so it's a non Kickstarter non non board game client that we were kind of having a tough time with to 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 be honest getting uh getting them results and we had tried a couple of different tactics and uh, it's an e-commerce business with a particular product and and they have a very successful amazon e-commerce so we know that the product is is valuable and people respond to it well so it, it was a bit of a mystery to us or concern of why we couldn't get these ads to become profitable right and we could get a good cost per click we could get a solid click-through rate we could get you know, good metrics, except uh, the only metric that wasn't great was purchases. We just couldn't make it profitable. And so um, our client had a friend that went to his church and was, you know, and came in and it ended up being this really, really educated, high powered uh, marketing executive. And the call was actually to determine if we were doing what we needed to be doing, or if the client needed to go find another marketing agency and 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 that kind of thing the conclusion of the call was that hey these guys are doing well and you know continue to give them a shot with these changes and so we want to talk about that with you guys because we learned a lot and it was it was awesome and it was nice because it was coming it was coming from a a third party right this wasn't facebook uh, telling us this is how you optimize ads because when the, the people who are directly benefiting <laughs> from the advice, you kind of take it with a grain of salt saying, is this really good advice or is this just advice that's going to you know, help their business? Whilst we knew we, we could trust this information because it was really a favor f- through a friend or a connection of someone who was working on you know, much larger accounts than uh, we're working on. So that was uh, it, it was helpful to understand that this is information we could trust. 
Right. And in addition to that, you know, one of the tough things about Facebook ads or really any kind of digital marketing is that there are so many so-called experts, and I'm totally using air quotes when I say the word experts out there that want you to buy their course for a thousand dollars or whatever it is, a hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, you know, and they promise epic results. They promise that they have the right way that if only you learn from them, you would be you know, you would make so much more money. And that's oftentimes far from the truth. Most of the time, those courses will teach you some basics and then will take your money, of course, but not really be that thing that is going to bring you to the next level as far as your marketing skill set. So as a marketing agency, I'm always careful about things like that. Uh, found some great courses for SEO marketing in the past that have really leveled our skill set up. Uh, if anybody listening to this cares, one is SEO That Works by Brian Dean. That is one that I highly recommend. Beyond that, there's really nothing as far as Facebook ads that I had previous to this conversation that I really trusted. So a lot of the work that we had done, you know, I worked in, you know, with Facebook ads for like the last five years or or more. A lot of that has been school of hard knocks mixed with the school of paid advertising, you know, awesome, awesome paid advertising uh, courses and education for Google ads. And uh, now a lot of, and of course, you know, just a general understanding of marketing and how advertising works and how the customer thinks and that kind of thing that has, of course, played a major factor into how, you know, what we, you know, the success that we gain with Facebook ads, but it's, it really is tough. You know, there are so many courses out there that are such garbage for Facebook ads or that are just basic, you know, that don't teach you that kind of next level, you know, and, and to be honest, there really isn't a massive demand for going deeper because the the market is all there are a bunch of noobs trying to learn facebook ads they're not ready to learn how to you know improve click through rate and why that why that metric matters they just need and, to know how to build an ad and the, i think as well the the people who are operating at those high levels where they're doing ads for these huge corporations they're not going to share their secrets too quickly with with people either so that's something to to think about as well because right. I suppose if they've got a monopoly on information, well, then why would, would they create competitors? <laughs> you know? So there's, there's that as well. That's true. It's, it's a real, uh, uh, the air is real thin up at the top. You know, you know we, we kind of have a, a loose bulleted list of topics to kind of help guide our conversation so that we can help you guys with what we learned. But uh, the first one is, I think, one of the most important lessons in all of marketing. If you want to be a good digital marketer, you have to be humble. So we earned a lesson or learned a lesson in humility this week. And I, I think, you know, it's, I'm happy to say that I don't know if this is hubristic or, or what, but we were humble enough to receive it, which was one of the most important things. That's why we spent Doesn't sound very hours. Humble, I know, but honestly, if we, if we weren't, this guy would not have spent the time that he did with us, right? He spent like two hours with us on the phone or on a Zoom, a Zoom chat to just uh, pour into us because we wanted to learn. We weren't there to be like, oh, no, we, we know what we're doing. We're, we're expert marketers and this and that. But we, we just simply wanted to absorb his knowledge. It's like, you know, I just want to absorb this information because it's so rare. I mean, it's worth $1,000 an hour or, or more, right? And so the more that... I mean, this guy just, he poured into us and uh, I, don't, I don't think he'd have done that if 
we weren't willing to listen. Yeah, no, I was very skeptical going in because as soon as someone says, oh, I know of a guy who's a, you know, runs a digital marketing agency and he wants to sit down and chat to see, you know, how we can improve things like, yeah, sure, come come on board. But he's probably going to tell us things we already know or things we've already tried. You know, is he really an expert? So that's what I was sort of expecting. But uh, yeah, I was blown away by the information we received and was really happy to, to be on the call. Yeah, it was definitely listening lesson in humility we've spoken about this before in other podcasts and, and your business even going to kickstarter you have to love learning you've got to be willing to learn new skills to develop and adapt and push forward and you have to be uh, humble to do that right because if, if you think you know it all then that's going to be a barrier to learning absolutely and in addition to just trying to learn this giant which is digital marketing. There was a, another situation this week that happened. We actually had one of our accounts hit, hit uh, they, they didn't fund, right? They didn't end up funding this week. And there were, it was like, I mean, they had a ton of leads, a ton of emails, and then all of a sudden they launched and just to crickets compared to what I thought they were going to do. It was sad, of course, you know, nobody wants to launch their game and then not fund, especially when they worked really hard to try to fund the first day. And part of humility, you know, is accepting, number one, the possibility that you may not fund. And then mm. what is rewarding from humility is when you actually get to ask your backers, ask the others that didn't back why. Part of what we do in marketing, we, we create community, some sort of community. Um, most often nowadays, it's a Facebook community, sometimes a community on Discord, but a community nonetheless uh, surrounding your individual game. And if, let's say, you uh, go to Kickstarter and you did not fund, you can actually go back to the community and ask, hey guys, you know, I know there are several hundred of you here and we had 25 or 50 backers just wondering, you know, what was the reason that you guys decided not to back or what was something that gave you pause? That type, those types of questions will really, really help you if backers answer those or if uh, people who are prospective backers that chose not to back answer that. I mean, you could go back and to, you know, to the drawing board, maybe it's something related to the graphic design. Maybe it's something related to shipping or some other hygiene factor. You know, you can ask, you can get legitimate answers instead of trying to go to the drawing board and figure out, well, what do we think was wrong? You get to hear from people that chose not to back your game for one reason or another. You get to hear the reason it's a, it's a humbling experience, but it's, definitely going to benefit you. You can become an expert in Facebook ads in three months. And then if you stop working in Facebook ads and come back three months later, you're not going to know what's going on. You know, it's just <laughs> one of those things you have to constantly, you have to love learning. One of the, the things that we learned was that we, you really need to define your campaign. And this really comes down to your goals overall, even to Kickstarter. How much, how much are you willing to invest to get a said result. So for example, we, we have our own benchmarks for Kickstarter, but in order to determine success, people need to be able to agree with that. So, you know, our, our benchmark for a lead is two to $4. That's what we'd like to see for a lead. We can obviously want to get that as low as possible, but in that range is okay. Things are, things are okay. We might be able to improve on numbers, but yeah, this is, this is like an acceptable starting range. So you need to define those things and then set benchmarks. Okay. So this is uh, within, within budgets that people have, and then focus on the brand messaging. I mean, we sort of knew this all, but really 
being very clear on those benchmarks and, and maybe that's more applicable to things which aren't going to kickstarter because it's it is slightly a, a different ball game than like going to like an e-commerce store and trying to get sales directly um you know uh, it is a slightly different strategy in, in marketing so that's really important uh, defining the goals of your campaign before jumping in what are you trying to do what are you trying to achieve and this this comes down to you going to kickstarter as well what are you trying to achieve with your kickstarter what are you trying to achieve with your marketing in your kickstarter and to basically crunch some numbers so that okay i'm, I'm satisfied uh, with these numbers and you know unfortunately you'll only really know the true success of your marketing after your kickstarter all that work is worth doing moving forward you'll have a better idea on your second kickstarter your third or your fourth if you're able to compile all this information moving forward now you mentioned uh benchmarks um what kind of benchmarks should our listeners be looking for or setting uh when they do their kickstarter campaign one thing that's nice about working in the you know board game space for kickstarter is that you know after doing 30 or or more campaigns specifically for board game kickstarters there really are a lot of lessons that you that kind of are applicable across the board just because you know we're targeting similar similar markets you know people who are interested in board games and kickstarter and the the things that they care about tend to be universal just because you know one game versus another you might get one type of person over another and then the individual brand the messaging might change but the benchmarks are oftentimes the same or quite similar so one of the big ones uh, as Sean mentioned you know the initial the cost per result the cost per acquisition cpa some sometimes people will uh, call it that the result that you want let's say for a pre campaign kickstarter uh, or a marketing strategy you want to emails that's that's exactly what you should be going after emails of people that are very interested in learning more about your project uh, the benchmark for that for us like i said 2 to 4 dollars per email these people would be people that were interested in kickstarter and board games and you know maybe some other interest but you could definitely lower that very quickly if you removed kickstarter as an interest because you know kickstarter and board games there's you know let's say like 4 million people it's like 3.8 million people that are interested in those two things and both of those things but if you just simply eliminated Kickstarter, you'd go from 3.8 million in the U.S. to uh, whatever it is, 40 million. And that is going to, I mean, just because there are more people that you're going to be marketing to, your cost per lead is going to go down. But the problem is that if you eliminate Kickstarter as an interest, you're asking them to go to Kickstarter to pay you money eventually. Your, co your actual value her lead is going to go down too, which is a bad thing. So we always play within constraints of Kickstarter and, you know, board games of some kind in, you know, a, a, a an audience. And that's why we look for that two to $4 benchmark. Um, we are getting leads as low as, I mean, under 50 cents for certain campaigns. I mean, I think distilled right now by Dave Beck is just uh, crushing it on, you know, with Facebook ads and it's just a game that really resonates with the the communities that we are targeting it's got a lot going for it in general that's a great number to look for now your cost per click is another ideally you want to be 20 cents per less or 20 cents or less i i find it acceptable to be in between 20 and 40 cents per click but if you had a campaign that was generating a a, a click at 40 cents or a, uh, the same campaign with the same amount of money invested 
at 20 cents, you are literally going to get twice as many clicks and your budget is going to be theoretically twice as effective if you're, you know, if you had a cost per click of 20 cents. So I find that the best cost per clicks are just slightly under 20 cents. I know that it's, it's, I mean, I've had cost per click at one cent and, and three cents before, but it's not, generally it's not possible in uh, Kickstarter. I think the lowest cost I've ever had in a, uh, for a Kickstarter ad was like seven cents a click. And that was for a brand, uh, a game that uh, uh, people know. Um, it was Ascension uh, Tactics. As far as your, your benchmark budget, like the amount of money that you should expect to pay uh, to Facebook ads, I would say at least 20 bucks a day. You need to you need to plan on twenty bucks a day as a starting point. Uh, benchmark click through rate is anywhere from two to five percent. If you have a five percent click through rate, that means that your thing is a whole lot more interesting than if it was at one percent, right? You've got many more people, a much higher percentage of people that actually see your ad are clicking through, and that is going to show. You know, during Kickstarter, a lot of the time with Facebook ads, <clears throat> you're not able to see how many people are actually backing the game as a result of your Kickstarter ad. But you can see how many people the ad is resonating with, with that click-through rate uh, percentage. So anything else you can think of, Sean? Another metric to, to look at when it comes to benchmarks is your, your CPM, which is basically cost per thousand impressions. The, the M stand is the Roman numeral for thousand. Yeah. yeah so cost per thousand impressions, obviously you want to get that as low as possible because if that is, if that is low, it means that your ad is at a right target audience, or it's telling you that the target audience that you're trying to reach is too competitive and it's going to basically drive up all your other metrics. Because if you have to pay more to impress the ad, well, then it's going to take more to get the ad clicked. It's more to get the ad clicked. It's going to increase your cost per lead. So the CPM was something that we weren't really paying too much attention to. But after this talk with Johnson, we certainly will be looking at that far, uh, far greater depth because it really helps us understand if our target audience is a good fit for this ad. Absolutely. Now, one other element, we talk about the brand messaging a little bit, but with with the campaign, you, you really have uh, two critical elements that we you know, we're kind of able to take for granted a little bit in the board game space because we ourselves, we're all board gamers. We kind of intrinsically know what board gamers like. And, you know, because we know what we like, we have different tastes uh, among, you know, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of dungeon crawlers and that kind of thing. Um, I know Rick, you love uh, Euro games like Scythe and I like uh, co-op games. There you go. So we, we have a leg up in that, you know, in that area, but um, so this is was a huge deal that Johnson was sharing with us about how they the top agencies in the world start with their customers. They focus number one on the customer avatar, who that person is, the age of the person, the cares of that person, and what what they like, and and that sort of thing. And really do a, I mean, they even name the person. You know, they give them a name. This is um, uh, Tony. I, I was going to say Karen, but I mean, you know, <laughs> I just. I don't know why that name came first. So um, this is Karen and she's 25 and she has one child and uh, you know, that's two years old or younger and they go to mommy and me groups and maybe they're, they, they're a stay at home mom or 
um, something like that. Like these are things that you need to figure out who your particular customer avatar is. You know, Rick, and he's um, in his mid thirties, and he's got a brand new girlfriend, and they are pretty pretty serious, and they like co op games together. So that's something that is really really important to dial in first. Then the second thing is the campaign goal. When when I say budget, I'm in particular talking about okay, my game is going to cost, uh, let's just say I'm going to, uh, you know, for deliverance, a legit example, um, it'll be $89 for the deluxe edition. And I will generate in, in theory about 4.7 times what I pay for it in China landed cost. And then in addition to that, you know, obviously all the stretch goals and things like that, that, you know, will probably cut my margin thin and, and, and everything. How much am I willing to pay for a lead? Right. So if it's $89, let's say to get the game and for the molds and everything like that, let's just say I'm going to make in, in the end a margin of about 50%. Mar uh, the graphic design, of course, for the, I mean, that's a huge, the illustration and graphic design that is crazy expensive. So let's say we make, you know, uh, $40 or $50 per game after, uh, you know, at, at the end of the day. Um, then I am able to say, okay, based on, the amount of which is probably much too high compared or considering all the design that that is uh, all the uh illustration work and graphic design that's gone into the game but so let's just keep it simple and say okay fifty dollars right and out of that fifty dollars i have to pay for whatever it is in marketing and still be profitable so in theory if that were the case i would be able to pay you know up to forty nine dollars in 99 cents and, and you know to facebook ads as long as i got a backer for every roughly 50 dollars, we're breaking even and then if i got a backer for 40 dollars, i'm making 10 10 every time somebody uh, backs my game via facebook ads um so i what i would say if i was a customer i would say okay my cost of goods sold and everything is about 40 dollars, and uh, my margin is, is about 50 dollars. so i need customers for 50 dollars or less and then you know, the marketing company, we would try to acquire customers at, we would try to get to break even, you know, in the first month, it might not be break even if it's an e-commerce product, we need to learn and, you know, and, and figure out what, you know, what is, what works, right? And then we get to the break even point and then we get to the point of profitability and then we get to the point of maximizing profitability. But we need to know those numbers in order to really do a good job in the ads. So one thing that we learned from Johnson, this uh, Facebook master was to at the beginning of a campaign to avail of dynamic ads we would always be very apprehensive of dynamic ads simply because in our mind is getting an ai to do any type of you know a b testing without your intervention might be a bad use of budget especially when we're dealing with usually first-time creators who have very limited budgets we want to make want to make their ad spend go as far as possible so we were always very skeptical of dynamic ads but he really sold us on dynamic ads he told us uh, why you should use them how you should use them the amount of the budget you should throw into them and basically what the purpose of them are and essentially it's it's basically the starting point of your your ads it's really to like get a feel for demographics so you would have dynamic ads for different demographics and within these dynamic ads you would hand facebook a bunch of headlines a bunch of primary text which is the text above the image uh, you, you'd put a bunch of images and videos in, into this bag and Facebook would do all this automation A-B testing and then spit out which one is producing the best results. So he, he showed us how we can 
you know, customize Facebook in order to see the results by looking at the click-through rate, the cost per impression, and the uh, cost per click. So, yeah, the click-through rate, the cost per click, and the cost per impression to work out which ad in the dynamic ad is working the best. So we find the best headline, we find the best image or video, and we find the best primary text, and we create a new campaign with the same audience and we put that that single ad into that new campaign and then we can then obviously we know that's a good ad it's working it's resonating with this campaign and we basically you rinse and repeat that that process until you've got these you know really powerful ads that you can then up your ad spend on yeah it's uh it's interesting because i actually ran a test immediately i was excited to apply this information and so i went ahead and you know just gave it gave it a go with uh deliverance and so I created a, dy a dynamic ad with five separate head, uh, primary text. So I, I focused on different features in the primary text. I kept uh, four of them pretty short. And one, I just decided I'm, I'm going to make it really long. So it was like introducing deliverance, a tactical combat adventure board game, blah, blah, blah. And the features, I listed like eight features that it was like a wall of text and that crazy enough that ended up being my best performer with uh with several groups i have um i divided groups based on like general board gamers in the us general board gamers in the uk and then i did uh, another ad set which or another campaign uh set which i called christian nerds so you know i've got you know one audience at about 800,000 people and they they resonated with a certain uh, primary text and headline and the reason i knew that was because if I were to look at the click-through rate and the cost per impression and the cost per click, I would see, number one, that the dynamic ad would have an average click-through rate of like 2.6%. And then one of those headlines, average click-through rate might have been 3.1%. So I know that the one headline that had the highest click-through rate was actually outperforming the average. So if I simply just made it so um, so that that was the only headline, the ad would immediately perform better. In addition to that, at in the same test with the sing with the single dynamic ad, I had different, of course, primary text and headline. I was able to do that with both of them, and so you know I ended up going from I guess it was like the the average click through rate was three point four four percent with my dynamic ad, which is pretty high um, in this uh, highly targeted group. It went up to three point nine six after you know, which is basically more people clicking. It's going to cost me less per click and it just, it ended up performing a whole lot better. It was a really nice. I spent a total of like $37 on that dynamic ad and I was able to make a meaningful decision. Normally what we do is we tell people that, Hey, you need to, you need to spend about $60 in order to have enough data to make meaningful decisions. So oftentimes with an ad, uh, sorry, with an account that has a budget of 20 bucks a day, we'll make changes every three days. That was my, that was from the gut. And then, uh, this guy, uh, Johnson, he said to us that, Hey, you need to make changes, um, every two days from, you know, you'll have enough information after two days with a dynamic ad. And I found that to be exactly right. It was a, it was a very cool thing to um to see my cost per result per website subscriber with a dynamic ad was two dollars and twenty cents and with uh after my test was completed i went and i created a uh you know just the the image with the uh, or, um, the ad with the winning headline with the winning 
primary text with you know the best click-through rates and whatnot and my cost per website subscriber dropped from two dollars and twenty cents to one dollar thirty five cents it was very cool Wow. Is this why wow. I keep seeing those uh, deliverance uh, ads on my Facebook feed now? Uh, seen quite a few. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah um, I, think. I do have one thing to add. It's a little bit outside of Facebook. I know we're talking about Facebook, but don't just limit yourself to dynamic ads on Facebook. Your whole entire process should be dynamic. You got your dynamic ad on Facebook. You're 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 tuning it. You're doing your split testing. Now, once they click on your ad, they go to your landing page. Well, guess what? You could do the same thing with your landing page, but depending on what kind of platform you're using, most platforms support A-B uh, split testing. So like, for example, if you're using a WordPress landing page, you could, there's a couple plugins that will do split uh, testing. So you can tweak out like your header, uh, your hero hero text image, et cetera. And then also like things like uh, ClickFunnels has A-B split testing, I believe Wix does too. So there's really some great tools out there that you can use to actually take that and keep going with it to fine tune your ad and get the most um, out of your investment. Definitely. Now, one other question that was asked in our uh, in our meeting was, would you buy this based on that ad? And I think that that's a great question to pose to you guys as, uh, you know, just our listeners. Whenever you're creating an ad or whenever you are just looking at an ad, use the opportunity to educate yourself a little bit. If it's something that, you know, is within your area of interest, you know, a lot of people listen to this, love board games and our board game publishers and Kickstarter hopefuls. Would you buy what it is that they're selling based on that ad. If it was, let's say your game, or when, you know, if you create something, uh, an ad that you're using on Facebook, would you buy this product based on that ad? That is actually a great question to ask somebody that you trust, a close person that you trust. It's like, would you buy this based on that ad? Or would you click through, would you want to know more? And the unspoken question is, what would need to change in order for you to, if, if you didn't, Right. If you didn't want to know more. Yes. Make your game not suck. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about the advertising. It's advertising has been around forever. Marketing's been around forever. And the same rules still apply. I was laughing once because I saw an ad. Um, I have it on my <laughs> it's on my Facebook feed somewhere. But like it was like uh one of the like food stands in the mall had like this special drink and it was like it was called like something like Forever Summer Lemonade. But then it said in small print for a limited time. So I'm like, oh, so forever isn't forever. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if the limited time part was a marketing ploy to get it to. <laughs> but yeah, so you want to make sure your, your marketing is like, like you said, would, would you buy it? And make sure there's no conflict in your marketing that would cause confusion where it can lead people to not want to buy your product. Absolutely. Yeah. Another thing that he spoke about was audience sizes. So it's very important that when you are comparing audiences, that they have a similar size. If you're targeting, you know, general board gamers, and a, it might not be a good idea to compare that with a, a more niched audience. Like let's say we say general board gamers who also like fantasy games. That that might be a little bit more niche. It's going to be a different demographic. It might be better to compare general board gamers who like fantasy games versus general board gamers who like sci-fi games and compare those two. They'll have similar size audiences. So that's important when making intelligent decisions on how well your ads are working. 
Right. And that's because the uh, so let's say going back to the number of general board gamers that like Kickstarter, roughly three point eight million people. If you add in um, collectible card games and Dungeons and Dragons, so like RPGs, you're going to get to a maximum of about six point five million people. Now, if you run an ad in that particular audience, you're going to get whatever results you're going to get. But the thing is, you're teaching Facebook. So Facebook is going to learn based on the campaign overall what type of customer is a really good fit for you who you know based on the the results right so you're gonna facebook is gonna try to give you more people that are gonna sign up for your email list if that's the result that you're telling facebook you know you're you're measuring success uh by that result facebook is gonna try to do more of that now um to use an example uh myself uh deliverance we have one audience with like everyone it's 6.5 million people rpgs board games and kickstarter and uh, collectible card games and then we've got those people that are also chronicles of narnia fans and that's pretty low i mean for whatever reason on facebook there are not that many people that are chronicles of narnia fans that are also board gamers that are also kickstarter backers it's about 180,000 people that are chronicles of narnia fans now in the past this Chronicles of Narnia fan, I ran like five bucks a day. It was one of my most effective. It was a very small audience, but it was for that $5, we earned like we earned leads for like less than a dollar. And it was very effective. Now, if I had that small little ad group or ad set right next to the big general board gamer ad set, Facebook would see 10 times as many people coming from the general board gamers as they did the Chronicles of Narnia people. So what would happen is you would be mixing your data together. Facebook would, you know, in my particular case, it would, they would it basically be completely influenced by the general board gamers and the Chronicles of Narnia would not actually show Facebook any difference. If Chronicles of Narnia fans were by themselves face, you know, in their own campaign, Facebook would see, Hey, it looks like Christian nerds like this deliverance. But if I mixed them with the general board gamers, it would be like, hey, it looks like nerds like Deliverance, and it would never pick out that little Christian part, which is actually one of my highest, because my game is a religious-themed board game, it is one of the things that make my um, most hardcore fans. So I would, in essence, by mixing the two audiences, be hiding that fact from Facebook. When you first create a dynamic ad, you're not going to be able to see any metrics by, by default. What you have to do is if you're in your ads manager, you have to, on the top right, there is this basically button that says breakdown with a little upside down arrow. And when you tap that, you will be able to select by dynamic creative element. And you'll be able to sort through image, video, and slideshow, website URL, text, headline, description, and call to action. And that's where you compare all those different metrics is through the sort of arcane menu, which isn't really there by default. So it's the top right, it's breakdown. You then scroll down to by dynamic creative elements, and then you can select the thing that you want to compare, like the image or the text or the headline. Um, does Facebook uh, ads allow you to like do combinations? Like say like, oh, this headline and this image work the best together, or is it just image versus image, header versus header? So it compares apples to apples, the headline against all the other headlines, the image against all the other images, 
the primary text against all the other primary text. But what Facebook is doing is with a dynamic ad, they are doing the testing. So they are comparing one ad to all the others, or I'm sorry, uh, one headline with all the other images, with all the other primary text, and they're getting you know, a, a certain amount of impressions before they would consider that test complete and then they'll do different combinations. So there would be, you know, five times five times five, 125 different combinations if you use five images, five headlines and five primary text. So Facebook will do all of that with about 40 bucks of of investment. And so that's why the, you know, earlier we chat, we talked about the click through rate, the cost per click and the cost per impressions, cost per 1000 impressions, those three columns. And of course, in addition to your cost per result, uh, those three columns for maybe four are very, very important for you to, uh, to review. And I honestly, I, I would say if you have enough data, so if you've spent enough time, spent like five bucks trying to do this and you get you know, it's just, it's just not going to be enough money spent in order to, to run through all those combinations. But if you've spent enough, you know, as I said, roughly 40 bucks on a, on a dynamic ad, you should have enough information to say, okay, this is, this is trustworthy. The nothing Johnson said was that the, one of the most important parts of a Facebook ad is the primary text. This is the text above the image. He says they would spend more time even more money on mastering that primary text and any other elements of the ad. He says, you know, before they, they hire out, you know, creative professionals, they actually hire out copy editors to make sure that the, the primary text is super engaging. So he suggested always starting your primary text with a question and you want to have the question fill up the space so that when you get to that dot, 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 or see more, people are intrigued enough to click it and engage with the ad a bit longer. So that's something that, you know, I'm really interested in fleshing out as we move forward with our Kickstarter campaigns and with our ads. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, historically we have avoided the dreaded dot, dot, dot. So what, what happens in, in primary text in the primary text field inside uh, Facebook ads, you have as much text as, as, as much room as you want. But if you start, if you go past, you know, roughly three lines in, um, you know, really it's like two lines inside the, the primary text field, it will, uh, so if you, let's say you write five lines of text, you're going to get, you know, three lines to display and then you'll see dot, 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 see more. If I wanted to read the rest, I could see more and then read the rest of what is written. The, the reason I originally thought that was a problem was if people are scrolling down and scrolling through your your stuff, they are going to stop and take a look. And if the important stuff is below the fold, you know, or, or rather after you click that see more button, only then will the important stuff display. You're doing yourself a disservice and you're, you know, they're not going to read all that stuff, right? So whatever ends up above that is, has to be the most important, the most attention grabbing and so on and so forth. Now, that still rings true. However, with that primary text, and this was this actually proved to be correct with my dynamic ad, I did one version of primary text that was way, way longer than the others. And I tried to make it very interesting above the fold so that people would want to see more. It's like uh, 
you know, a tactical combat adventure board game about angels, demons, and the saints caught between. It's like, I, I want to know more about that. That's, and that was proven by the data that people do want to know more. So him challenging the, uh, you know, the, that preconceived notion that I had about primary text needing to be short, it's already paid dividends for me personally in, in ads. And of course, moving forward with our clients. So I thought that was really cool. And then, like you said, Sean, asking a question here, I love questions. I love when people ask questions in ads and it, it makes it like a very thematic question. You know, um, I remember we did uh, Rurik Dawn of Kiev uh, or Rurik Stone and Blade, the expansion to Rurik Dawn of Kiev. And um, the most influential ads were the ones that asked questions, you know, all, all related to can you ascend to the throne of Kievan Rus or will you be left in the dust of history or something like that. And it makes sense because I suppose when someone sees an ad and if they click see more, now they're invested, right? It's, it's too easy for them to read the primary text and they're interested to flick up. But if it's somewhat a little bit engaging, there's a greater likelihood that they're going to really stick on that ad a bit longer. And that's probably going to increase the likelihood of them clicking through because they've invested some time. If it's too easy just to swipe up, which it is, then the probability of them actually clicking the ad, engaging with the ad, will go down. So it's it's interesting. We've had a couple of clients who've had longer copy, and it's actually proven to be quite effective. So, And this is something that you can obviously work out with your dynamic ads. You can have one copy that's very long and one that's very short, and you'll be able to see which is performing better. But it would be worth noting that Dynamic ads are not for the, the long game. They're not profitable. They're during your testing phase. So your first month of ads, you want to use dynamic ads to really hone down your your copy, your image, and to really get those nice and niched. And then you probably want to reduce the, the dynamic ad spend. I would say even turn it off once you, you have ads that are really optimized. So they're, they're not the, the most profitable, the most useful use of your budget. But what they do is they give you very valuable information in, in the cheapest way possible. Because if you were to do this with regular ads, it would take much longer, it would take much more money to get that same information. In addition, there was a, something else that they that uh, Johnson mentioned, which I had previously rejected, and that is video ads. I mean, number one, you always want to make sure that your ad looks like a post that you might just see in the newsfeed. You don't want to make it look like an ad. You know, whenever people ask me, hey, should we put the come into Kickstarter, you know, um, or a live on Kickstarter badge, you know, something like that. It always has historically lowered the value or rather it's increased the cost per click. It's increased. Uh, it's decreased the number of people who subscribe for the for the budget. And that's simply because people recognize that as an ad really quickly. It's like, if you tell them, you know, this is an ad for a Kickstarter game, then, you know, people are just going to scroll past. And and that's just a subconscious thing that we don't like being advertised to. You know, there's a reason that we don't um, actively look and read billboards anymore when we drive on along the roads, not to say they're not effective, but it wouldn't be effective for a board game Kickstarter, right? You want to make sure that your that your ads look like normal posts. And so he uh, Johnson suggested that we would use video ads just simply by recording with an iPhone. So, uh, you know, a 30 second or a 60 second video, uh, 60 seconds max because Instagram isn't going to play a video or story is not going to play a video longer than 60 seconds. But the uh, the idea is that 
if you just recorded a video saying, hi, my name's Andrew. I'm, you know, I created this game called Deliverance. Let me show you. And then I open the box and show you what's inside or whatever. That tends to be more interesting. One of the things that people would always do is they would give us their Kickstarter video. And they would be like the hype video for the Kickstarter campaign. And it would be, you know, three minutes or whatever. And we, you Somewhere know, you can. the deep recesses of the galaxy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is a conflict of aliens and robots. Yeah, and then I'm already lost, you know. It's like, all right, I'm 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 done, you know. It's like, it, it may be that I'll stick around, but usually what we find is that those, the results for those things are terrible, you know, the, and that's why we tell people, you know, everyone makes a really cool hype video and it does perform well on the Kickstarter page, does not perform well historically in a Facebook ad. And so I'm really interested in revisiting video ads and getting our clients to film one just on their own iPhone video. So that is pretty exciting. In the ultimate robot versus alien dance-off competition. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, well, I actually tried video ads and maybe I have the advantage of actually having a bit of a background in motion graphics. So I was able to animate basically a still image, uh, make it a little bit engaging. And I've actually, through using dynamic, uh, through, through a personal project of mine and, and testing the things that we had learning, we had learned from Johnson, I was able to uh, determine that a video ad actually got me a, a better cost per click and a better uh, conversion rate. So uh, I've turned off my image ads and I'm now running on video video ads. And that could be for several reasons. It could it could be simply because there's less people on Facebook using video ads, so it's therefore less competitive. It's something that you do want to experiment with, and maybe this always comes. You know, this is probably worth mentioning as well. Is that no matter what you're doing, you always need a lab. Like Andrew said, he has deliverance. He's testing things with deliverance. I'm testing things myself on my own, you know, personal things, non-work related. But we, everyone needs a lab and you need a, a space where you are free to experiment and to try things without there being, uh, you know, massive, you know, failures or consequences for that. And that's really going to help you learn and apply these things. And that way it, it helps you. You can say, hey, I've tried this. I've tested this. I know it works because I did it in my own lab. So it's always, I think it's always a good idea to have some type of personal project. And really, your first Kickstarter is that. You're going to make, you'll learn so much from your first Kickstarter. By the time you get to your second Kickstarter, you'll be able to bring all that knowledge with you to really excel your next project. And that just keeps on building on top of itself. That is all the time we have left for crowdfunding nerds podcast um, for some great articles, resources, and to listen to our previous podcast visit our website at crowdfundingnerds.com and if you have a question for us feel free to go to crowdfundingnerds.com forward slash question and if it's a really awesome question we will put it in a future podcast and again thank you to a uh, big shout out to uh is it mr mr the invisible mr. Johnson. mr johnson mr johnson yes. for his uh his 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 awesome uh feedback um for doing facebook ads and Absolutely. we're gonna try to get him on this podcast for sure and if, we definitely if have yep. us. Yes. You might have just scared him off. I know. One more Mr. Hopefully Johnson. Sorry. And that's all we got, nerds. Have a great week. We'll see you soon and stay nerdy.